two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4Patriots.com tutor to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4Patriots.com tutor. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. So often we hear politicians on both the left and the right say they are best equipped to protect our kids. And they introduce legislation they claim will do just that. While they're well-meeting and genuine in their efforts, many of these government reforms are not actually getting to the root of the problem. Or worse, they end up unknowingly making the problem worse. But the last few weeks, there's been a rare coming together in Washington on an issue we should all want to solve. I've talked about it several times on this podcast, and that is protecting our children online. Today, I'm bringing in someone who's been at the center of much of this work for decades. Maureen Flatley is an expert in government reform and oversight involving children. Her advocacy on Capitol Hill has resulted in the passage of a wide range of reforms of child welfare, adoption, and child abuse and exploitation laws like Masha's Law, a bill that tripled the civil penalty for downloading child sexual abuse material. Maureen, thanks for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. It's an important topic, and I'm so glad you're interested to explore it. I I definitely am. Uh, most of the people listening know that I have four children myself, four girls, but we've had parents on here who've had issues where their kids have been exploited online, ultimately ended up committing suicide, all kinds of... I mean, there's just so much that goes on with this that people mm-hmm. don't realize, and I think that most of us are uneducated on how to protect our kids. And even if we think we're educated, there's always new ways people can get to our kids. So if you can explain a little bit about what you've been working on and how you think we can kind of make this safer for our kids. Well, I'm a mom and a grandmother of a whole flock of kids, mostly girls (laughs) myself. And uh, so this is both personal and professional for me. I I often start these conversations by pointing out that I'm the daughter of an FBI agent, and my dad spent most of his career detailed to Capitol Hill, where he worked for the Senate Racketeering Committee, developing testimony against organized crime figures. And that experience, growing up literally as a child watching it every day, has really informed my approach to this problem. 
I often say that while people try to frame this sometimes as a tech problem, underneath all of it, it's a crime problem. And mm. when you look at the statistics about, I, I'll use, for example, the cyber tips, so the 32 million cyber tips, um, almost virtually all of those reports come actually from the tech companies directly, but they can't arrest and prosecute any of the perpetrators who are involved in those various allegations and reports. And the conviction rates are very, very low. So <clears throat> while on one level I understand the concern that tech companies do more, and I think most are actually trying to keep up, at the end of the day, we really have to invest in law enforcement here because mm. even, you know, something like sextortion, which I know has been a tremendous concern for a lot of parents like us, it seems innocuous. It seems like, well, it, you know, just might be a kid bullying my kid, but with a terrible result. But there, there are rings, international rings of sextortionists who have over many years covered 20 and 30 countries with very deliberate efforts to ex exploit kids. So we're never going to get ahead of this problem if we don't invest in the law enforcement side of this. And unfortunately, the PROTECT Act, which was passed in 2008, was a virtually perfect response to the problem. Uh, DOJ has almost completely failed, in my view, to implement the law adequately. So we've lost 15 years of building an infrastructure to interdict these criminals. So I, I hope that everybody can understand that while there are a lot of things that we talk about doing, this is really the most important thing that we have to attack first. Well, let's dig into that a little bit, because in Michigan, I know we really have one main crime lab in the entire state. So no, any no. type of sexual assault or any rape right. kit, anything like that goes through one crime lab in the entire state. And this was because this community, it wasn't a statewide decision. It was the community that decided to put all of their money into this crime lab. Mm -hmm. So why when we look at these massive budgets, I mean, the state of Michigan, I'll pick on our state because I know that we are in the, the top five for rapes per capita in the entire country. We obviously have a sex crime problem outside of being an online problem. But when I talk to the sheriff in this particular community he's like look i can find a sex a a, a um, sexual crime I got a person who's committing some sort of a sexual crime every single day in this state. I can locate them and I can arrest them and I can put them behind bars, but I don't have the resources to run everything through the labs. So what is that when you talk about that? Is that what yeah. you're talking about? hundred percent, hundred percent. So when you think about the 32 million cyber tips, that doesn't necessarily mean 32 million crimes. It just mm -hmm. means 32 million reports. It's, I analogize it to two mandated reporting in child welfare. So, you know, in a state like Michigan, which is one of the largest populations of kids in foster care, you could have, I'm ballparking, a million child abuse complaints a year. But, you know, some of them could just be, you know, neighbors are having a dispute and they make a gratuitous complaint about their neighbor and their kids. It's nothing really serious. Meanwhile, while social workers wade through those, what I would consider to be kind of bogus complaints, they're not getting to the serious and life-threatening stories that need to be addressed quickly. 
So one of the most so how does things, that when you talk about the Protect Act, ex- act mm-hmm. explain that a little bit. What would that have had it been implemented the right way? What would that mean? Well, <laughs> you know, the Protect Act actually has had money appropriated for it that hasn't even been spent. And so, you know, I look at the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. Michigan has a great one, and the. The linkage between municipal, state, and federal law enforcement in this is pretty critical because, one, Internet crimes tend to be interstate activity, but also because we want to aggregate and look at patterns and look at perpetrators that are operating across state lines. So the simple answer to your question about the PROTECT Act is that had it been fully implemented, we would have been infusing those state Internet Crimes Against Children Task Forces with more money so that they would have more, just to begin with, more analysts to look at the reports to see if there actually are crimes, more investigators at the local and state level to investigate those crimes, because the tech companies, the best of the tech companies can't arrest and prosecute anybody. It has to be a a law enforcement function. So by failing to implement that, over a long period of time, and and I blame Congress for this because it's their responsibility to engage in oversight, we would have had a lot more people Mm. on the ground doing the work. The good news is that best passed almost 16 years ago, I'm sorry, PROTECT passed almost 16 years ago, there's a new bill in Congress called the Invest in Child Safety Act that would what I call right-size the spending on law enforcement in this sector. It's not just handing out blank checks to police departments and the FBI. It's very focused on child exploitation. Um, And that would bring dramatic increases in the number of analysts, the number of investigators, the number of prosecutors, and the number of judges that would look at these cases. And, And from where I sit, as a mom and as an expert in child protection, we can't even begin to address this issue until we attack the criminal side of it. Because I, I use the analogy, blaming the tech companies for all of this is like blaming a bank for being robbed. You know, you have these cases, I don't know if you guys read about this, mm, but the Chanel yeah. store was targeted and, you know, 25 shoplifters went in and stole everything in the entire store. Well, nobody blamed the store. They called the police. And so when you start to talk about the level of organized crime in this issue, we have to get that out of the mix before we're going to see any significant improvements. So I think for people who don't understand exactly what we're talking about, let's just go through in 2023. There were more than 105 million online images, videos, materials related to child sexual abuse. And those were flagged by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So when we talk about this, I think that sometimes people hear, oh, sometimes there's pictures on Twitter or X now, I I guess, but formerly Twitter or Facebook or, you know, any of these social media sites, people Mm -hmm. say, well, this is out there. Why aren't these sites doing something? They, like you said, they can report them. They can't go and arrest these people. They can take them off. But then if you Mm -hmm. take them off their site, do these people reoccur as someone else? Where is this, where is this imagery coming from? Are they getting this, are they getting this from the children themselves? How exactly is this working and what do we need as parents to be on the lookout for with our own kids? Yeah. Well, I mean, let's talk about what happens with cyber tips. So 
just like doctors and school nurses and teachers and pastors, the tech companies are federally mandated reporters. That means that they, mm. if they believe that there is an, uh, an instance of child exploitation or child sexual abuse, they have to report it. And they do. They're the only real source of reports across the board. So once those reports are made and they go in the pool of cyber tips, now NICMIC does what we call geolocate the pictures. So in other words, they determine to the extent possible where the pictures come from. So one of the important facts is that 94% of cyber tips involve foreign governments. And so when they geolocate the pictures, they refer them out to these other governments who have no real mandate or responsibility to do anything with them. And of course, many of them involve extremely poor countries that really don't have any law enforcement. The remaining 6% are US-based. And so that's where we start to think about, okay, what can we do in this country? We can start by evaluating what those pictures are. But right now, because of limited resources, I think the number is something like 3,000 out of 100,000 reports are actually examined. So wow. problem number one, if my father were still alive, he would be the perfect person to organize this. Problem number one is we actually don't know enough about where those images are coming from. So how much of it is organized criminal activity? And I can tell you from working on Masha's Law that that child who was adopted from Russia by a pedophile to be content in his child pornography empire was actually one of the most prolific images on the internet at the time. Hmm. Literally, probably now millions of pictures. She was rescued in the early 2000s and her pictures are still all over the internet. So we need to understand, we, we can't fix the problem we don't understand. So we need to begin by differentiating where do those pictures come from? So is it 75% organized criminal activity? Because that's a hard target that we can start to go after and disrupt. How much of it is kids producing their own content, you know, foolishly, innocently, or whatever? That's a problem that we can definitely begin to address with education. I think a lot of what's going on is addressed by enforcing existing law, by bolstering our existing investment in law enforcement. And then, Tudor, the, to me as a mother, one of the number one things is <clears throat> education, education, education. If we don't let our kids get behind the wheel of a car without driver's ed, hmm. we really need to have a digital education approach to this, both for parents and for kids. Florida passed a marvelous bill that we're going to push hard as a model for other states to use. Very simple, because, you know, there have been a lot of ideas promoted here that involve having the government decide when your child can go on the Internet, what your child can do on the Internet. And I'm here to tell you, as somebody who has spent many, many years watching the in-real-life child welfare system destroy families, we really mm -hmm. don't want to create a digital CPS here because we know, I mean, I got into this issue as an oversight matter on working on parental rights cases. And so this is something that parents can do more to uh, control and manage, but you know, oftentimes parents themselves need to have a better understanding of exactly what's involved here. So I think a little bit less government involvement in a way is probably better, but we have to have the law enforcement 
piece of it at the front end because, you know, it's sort of like some of the proposals that have been made involve, you know, way down the road after the fact, after the damage has been done, tinkering with various tech rules with, you know, victims' access to civil justice, and victims can sue their perpetrators now. Um, but if we don't get to the heart of this, it's just going to be perpetuated. We'll have countless more victims. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you... Here on Next Question, it's going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. <laughs> but it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So let me ask you, when you talk about 94% of this being 
coming from other countries. Does that mean that the actual images are coming from other countries or that it is it the offenders are in other countries and they are somehow coming to into our country and getting our kids and getting pictures of them or assaulting them? Explain what that means. Well, it, it largely means that it isn't U.S. activity. So whether it's the perpetrator is in another country or the um, child is in another country, it's not a U.S. legal matter. It's something that falls into the jurisdiction of, you know, literally Bangladesh, Algeria, Germany. Um, and so it really isn't something, and this is something that people often don't understand as they kind of go after the tech companies, we don't have jurisdictionally the ability to prosecute mm. a lot of these cases. But at the end of the day, we're not prosecuting enough of the cases that we do have the ability to attack. And I sometimes to use the example of Mothers Against Drunk Driving, which is really one of my very favorite examples of grassroots advocacy. So, you know, tragically, Candy Lightner's daughter was killed by a drunk driver. She very quickly realized that this was a guy that had been arrested for DUI many times, had never gone to jail. And so she started paying attention to the sentences the judges were handing out. And very quickly, within a period of four or five years, we went from it was basically legal to drive drunk and kill somebody with your car to mm -hmm. having really stiff sentences. And we've seen the number of um, fatalities uh, due to drunk driving go way, way down. And I think that we need to structure sort of the same kind of deterrence, if you will. As long as the focus is on the tech companies who aren't the ones perpetrating against the kids, you know, they may, mm. they may be a platform uh, that the crime happens to appear on. But unless we start to really attack the people who are directly harming the kids, we're not going to stop this victimization. And in fact, I've seen, I mean, I said this, in, I was at the hearing in Congress a couple weeks ago, and I said to someone, look, we've lost 16 years because Congress didn't bother to enforce a bill that is now a law that was literally at the time one of the perfect responses to this problem from a law enforcement perspective. And so now we have to start now because if you look at the explosion of the activity in those 15 years i just think i get up every morning and one of the first things i think of is how many of those kids could have been protected if we had done our job at the front end and so we can come up with a lot of uh, and you said it at the beginning i think virtually everyone who's weighed in on this is well intended but the question is, how how much do they understand how this process, this problem plays out and what really constitutes a deterrent? Well, and I think we've become a society that wants to have a person or a an entity to hold accountable. And that's where we see right. these hearings. They get a lot of play because right. there's always these statements that come out and then they travel mm -hmm. on the social media platforms. And we're like, yes, that's the person we want mm -hmm. to have pay for this. But we had an interesting story here in Michigan. In the Upper Peninsula, a young man, I think he was 16, 16 or 17 years old, and he went... And, and this was a young man who was on fo the football team, had everything going for him, ended up having somebody, this extortion happened to him at night where these oh, these guys, I think it was from Nigeria, they went after him, they, they posed yeah. as a girl. 
the parents yeah. were actually able to extradite them and they um, have never stopped fighting. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about with Moms Against Drunk Driving is like you really have to say, we're going to take this to the next level and say, no, I'm not OK with the fact that they're going to get five mm-hmm. months and get off. I'm going to keep fighting until the next person doesn't ever have a chance to do this again. And I think we've kind of gotten away from that tenacity in yeah. with crime. But we have to get back there. Hundred percent. Now I know about that case, and in fact, I'm fairly certain that the gang that was involved in that case is one of the gangs that's on my radar. It's a Nigerian sextortion gang called the Yahoo Boys, and it's sort of loosely organized, but it's well organized enough to operate multinationally and to perpetrate crimes all over the all over the world, literally. And so I work with a group called Stop Child Predators, started by the wonderful Stacey Rubinap, who is kind of the candy lightener of this issue. She's not wasn't a personal victim, but she recognized a long time ago that this law enforcement piece was really crucial. And so you just gave me the perfect example of one of the targets that we're going to take on. And it's the Yahoo Boys who have Mm -hmm. been responsible for some gruesome sextortion cases. I mean, including having kids commit suicide. They were so distraught by what happened. But, you know, this is all about personal responsibility, too. And I think we can shift the blame to the easy targets, to the deep pockets. I think some of what has um, driven the criticism of the tech companies has been, quite frankly, opportunism, because who has deeper pockets than they do? But it doesn't take the criminals off the street. And so when you start to talk about a, a gang like the Yahoo Boys, and, and I reference my own father's work because, you know, he developed Joe Valachi's testimony against the mob, and that ended up being a global undertaking. But that's how we start to develop a solution. And I love that story. And actually, I might want to get in touch with this, that family because that's how you do it. Yes. You hold the actual perpetrators accountable and... Pretty soon, two things happen. One, you take the criminals off the street and you start to disrupt and discourage the activity. But also, the process of doing it is educational for the public. And so people can see that this is a lot more complicated than they would like to think so. I know members of Congress who just want to wave a magic wand and, you know, they think suing the tech companies. I mean, I'll give you, I mean, somebody asked me about what I thought about the hearings a couple weeks ago, and I said, you know, if I had been Mark Zuckerberg, and, you know, I'm not here to defend the tech companies, but if I had been Mark Zuckerberg, this is what I would have said. I would have said, you know, Congress has had 16 years to build a world-class child exploitation interdiction system, and they haven't really lifted a finger. The GAO just came out with a scathing report about DOJ's failures to work this issue. And the tech companies are the only reporters of this activity, only meaningful reporters in the mandated reporting system. But they're not the police. And so they hand the cyber tips over, but a tiny percentage of those cases are prosecuted and so and this is so this is a public safety problem so at the end of the day i think one of the things i love about these stories where families you know do pursue justice in a especially in criminal court is that it shows the public 
exactly what's going on. That this isn't some wave of magic wand scenario. This is, you know, boots on the ground, giving law enforcement the tools they need and connecting those dots. Because honestly, it's these gangs that are, you know, this isn't some, you know, kind of innocuous little activity of somebody sitting in his bedroom in Milwaukee, you know, it's these people know what they're doing. Yeah, this is organized crime, and it's just a different form than we're used to hearing about. Exactly. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now Lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before I let you go, I just want to get into when you talk about education and you say, well, you know, 
children and parents need to be educated. And I believe this because I'm in the situation where this was not a thing when I was a kid. I have no right. idea what they're facing online, but I don't feel like there are great resources out there for me to find out how I protect mm-hmm. them. Is there something that I'm missing? Is there a way for us to to point parents in a direction where it's like, okay, here's the facts, and this is what you need to teach your kids? Or is this something our schools should also have a course on? I, I mean, I'm really looking for those answers. Well, certainly... Working with Stop Child Predators and and our partner organizations, the number one thing that we feel we can do is to develop those educational materials. And so Mm -hmm. do I think it should be a course in school? You betcha. Um, I think, as I said, there was a bill in Florida that was passed on a bipartisan basis that we are absolutely distributing to other um, states to talk to them about this as a very simple basic, useful tool for kids in school, but then also we're looking to partner with national parents' organizations, foster parents, for instance, Um, I'm a junior league member, to make sure that we can distribute just some basic educational material to parents. I mean, I'm probably old enough to at least be your mother, if not your nana, and um, I think when I look at how the, the internet has played out as a thing uh, in my lifetime, but also during the span of my work in this area. The thing that I also try to remind people of is that technology has done a lot of really good things for kids. So mm. it's helping us locate kids abducted from Ukraine by the Russians. It's helping us find adoptive families for kids in foster care. I can go on all day long about how great technology is. but. You know, it's a little bit of common sense. You wouldn't let your 12-year-old drive to the mall by themselves and just wander around. And, you right. know, I my 12-year-old granddaughter doesn't go on her iPad without, you know, some real boundaries um, from my daughter. So I think we have to help everybody get a better grasp of what this is really about and how, you know, it's sort of one thing to have your granddaughter, this is, I'm speaking from personal experience, sit on your boat watching Coco Lemon while she takes a nap or melon. And it's another thing to just let kids have unfettered access. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like we are moving in the right direction, but I think we need to focus on two really important things, the criminals that are doing this and then helping families understand how much control they have over this, how they can protect their own kids. Um, As I said earlier, I just think that the government makes a terrible parent. There are thousands of foster children who can uh, speak to Mm -hmm. that on any given day. And so I really feel like the solutions need to come from families. I think there's a a different level, too, that um, we didn't talk about. It's not a safety thing, but when you talk about this. It just reminded me, I, I have a daughter in high school and they, they obviously the kids text back and forth. But then if they get mad at one another for any reason, I mean, the most sensitive reason whatsoever or break up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend, they immediately block that person. And I took my girls aside the other day and I said, look, don't do that. I don't care how angry you are with someone. You don't know what you do to them in that moment. If you cut them off completely, they have no access Mm -hmm. to you. They can't Mm -hmm. have a conversation. I know that you guys have this different technology and that wasn't my story as a kid, but these are Mm. just like, there, there are etiquette tips that we didn't have to think about when we were young and now life has changed. 
You know, I'm so glad you said that, and maybe we should do a whole other show about this, because I think that part of what has fueled a lot of, first of all, the whole issue of mental health and kids, technology is not the problem. The rest of life in a lot of kids' lives is the problem. But, you know, the way that social media, and I'm sure we've both done this, but social media has a way of amplifying and sharpening communication, mm-hmm. oftentimes not in a good way. I know I've been guilty of doing this myself. So, I mean, part of this is how we communicate with each other and how we treat each other. And I think it's actually a really big teachable moment for kids. You know, people ask me about bullying all the time, and I'm like, look, you know, technology is not going to stop bullying, and bullying will move wherever kids, I'm 75 years old, I'm sure there was bullying, all the nuns in my school probably wouldn't stand for it, but, you know, there was bullying going on in the 50s and 60s, and when my kids were growing up in the 70s and 80s, and the grandchildren now, it it's a human thing. It's not a technology thing. Right. And I think that technology, though, gives us an opportunity to maybe use technology more constructively and more compassionately. And to your point, you know, when I hear these heart-wrenching stories about kids committing suicide because they felt mm. rejected, wow, you just, I mean, sometimes the answers are really simple. And you just raised, I think, an extremely important point. So, but it, honestly, it's one of those things where if you're not having that conversation with your kids, I mean, my daughter was like, I can't believe this happened. You know, we had this conversation, then mm-hmm. she blocked me and I haven't spoken to her since. Right. And I was like, how often does that happen? Oh, this is how the kids do it all the time now. Um, then my seventh grader chimes in and I said, you know what? That can feel like it's a forever thing in that moment. And you guys need to understand how that makes someone else feel. Don't ever do that. But but I would never have known had we not had that conversation. So it is. It's kind of one of those things. We could talk about this and we should because we should talk about all of those factors. And that should go into that material of how to talk to your kids about technology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And being a good person. I have a dear friend who has a big foster care program and his tagline is be a good person. And, you know, I think sometimes we lose sight of that. And technology has a way of sort of amplifying things sometimes. And, it, you know, I think we probably have both because I think we're both into a lot of stuff policy wise. It just keeps throwing stuff at you. And mm. it can be overwhelming even for an adult. And sometimes you do want to just turn that thing off, whatever it is, but that isn't necessarily the best way to work through conflict in a moment. So, I mean, I keep finding that no matter what the subject is, it seems like better to handle it in society than try to make government create some rule or law around it. Amen, sister, because (laughs) the biggest concern that I have right now is that we have the government weighing in with a lot of knee-jerk ideas, and I'm sure that a lot of them are well-intended. But, you know, as I think we all know, the government is not the answer to everything, and sometimes the government creates a lot of unintended consequences. I mean, I'll just leave you with one thought, because I think Michigan's involved with it. You know, a lot of the state attorneys general are suing Meta right now for all kinds of perceived, Mm -hmm. you know, harm to children. But what I found, I mean, I literally laughed out loud when I heard about the lawsuit because almost every single one of those states has been sued for their own 
horrid child welfare outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so kids dying in foster care, kids being lost in foster care, um, you know, infant mortality rates off the charts. So let's not kid ourselves. This really isn't a technology problem. This is kind of a human problem. Yeah. And I think it's up to us to attack it and preferably together because I think that we're all learning a lot from each other and I think that that's the way you get things done. Well, this has been great. I mean, I've learned a lot today. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about it. And if there's anything that you can point us to, let me know. I mean, we'd love to share that with our audience. And and if you have those materials, let's get them out there. I will be delighted to stay in touch. I've really enjoyed this. Me too. Well, Maureen, it was wonderful having you. Thank you. Anytime. And thank you all for joining us on the Tudor Dixon podcast for this episode and others. Go to TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there or head over to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and join us next time on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Have a blessed day. Two thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to fourpatriots.com/tutor to get your solar generator. Now you'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to fourpatriots.com slash tutor. More than a movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies from the Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael to the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.